right here, but where else? CBS Sports Radio. All right, let's start with the biggest game in the NFL of week number eight. Bengals 49ers. A big question mark right now about the availability of 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. He's right now in the concussion protocol. His status for Sunday is uncertain. When you look at this game, when you look at right now the future, I think Brock Purdy's job is in jeopardy. Brock Purdy's job as the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers right now is in danger of being lost. Because if he can't play Sunday, and it's Sam Darnold coming on in and playing for him, there's no guarantee that Purdy starts another game for the 49ers because there's no guarantee that Darnold, if he makes that start on Sunday, doesn't make every other start going forward. And the reason why I could say that is because I'm going to give you two facts. Two facts about the 49ers quarterback position that is true of only San Francisco and no one else in the league. Here are the two facts. Number one, it is very easy to have success as a 49ers starting quarterback. That's fact number one. Fact number two, Kyle Shanahan rides the hot hand. And when you add those two factors together, easy to have success along with riding the hot hand by the head coach, that equals very to very little to none loyalty when it comes to your starting quarterback. Again, the 49ers starting quarterback position is different than any of the other 31 positions in the NFL. If your starter is out for a game, there's no doubt about who is starting when he comes back and healthy. There's no question, for the most part, about who the starter is, about who the guy is at the most important position in sports. But why the 49ers are different is because of the two facts I just said. We have seen multiple quarterbacks have a lot of success in the 49er system, and we've seen Kyle Shanahan change who he loves, change who he believes in year after year, sometimes week week by week. And so you can't sit here and tell me that there's absolutely no chance if Sam Darnold plays on Sunday that he won't start again, that it's Brock Purdy's job as soon as Brock Purdy clears the concussion protocol. You can't say that because that's not how Kyle Shanahan has acted, and that's not how this 49ers quarterback position has gone. Like, look at how Brock Purdy came into success, and look how he came into the starting job in the first place. Right? He came in last year because Trey Lance got hurt and Jimmy G got hurt. Played well to his credit, right? Well, got action because of the two injuries there. And going into this season, where it is Super Bowl or bust for the 49ers, and they are so close to knock on the door to get through to finally break through and get that elusive Lombardi trophy that they've been coming close to getting, right, the last few years, but have not been able to land just yet. Going into this pivotal season, Kyle Shanahan decides to go with the guy in Brock Purdy, who had, up to this point, eight career starts to his name. And he chose to have Brock Purdy be a starting quarterback, despite the fact that on the roster, he had a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who he's gone to a Super Bowl with and a quarterback in Trey Lance who he drafted third overall and gave up three first-round picks to go get. He chose Purdy, even though the sample size was small because of of him playing well 
in those eight games and chose Purdy over a guy, again, that got into the big game in Jimmy G and a guy that he put a lot of capital in draft-wise in Trey Lance to go get and only saw four games of. We can't sit here and say Trey Lance is a bust because we've not seen him play. Guy started four games. I'm sorry, four games is not enough to call someone a bust. Trey Lance could stink. We just haven't seen enough. But still, for Kyle Shannon, he saw enough, and part of it's him riding the hot hand of Brock Purdy say, you know what? Yeah, I got a quarterback I've gone to the Super Bowl with. Yeah, I got another quarterback that a few years ago in the draft I believed highly in. But eh, forget that. This guy played well the last two months of the season. We're going to ride with Brock Purdy. We're going to give Purdy the reins here, and we're going to, you know, we're going to let it ride and see where it goes. So why should I believe that Brock Purdy is not immune to the same judgment that Jimmy G and Trey Lance got? That's why, to me, you look at Sam Darnold. If he plays well on Sunday, I don't see Sam Darnold coming out of the starting spot anytime soon. Kyle Shanahan has notoriously ridden the hot hand. If we see Sam Darnold carve up, again, they've not played great, but on paper and historically in the last few years, we've seen this Bengals defense play really well. He goes out there, 280 yards, three touchdowns, and gets this 49ers offense that's been in a rut the last two weeks back on track. You really tell me that Sam Darnold is not going to be playing going forward? You really tell me that, that Shanahan who has always ridden the hot hand and does not care about what you've done in the past, only cares about what you do right now, you're really going to tell me that he's automatically going to give the reins back over to Brock Purdy? I don't believe it because that's not what we've seen from Kyle Shanahan. Again, look at how Brock Purdy got the starting job. He got it because of injury, and then even though he started only eight games going into this season, he got the job over Jimmy G who, again, went to a Super Bowl and over Trey Lance, who was drafted third overall because of what Brock Purdy did down the stretch. That small sample size, Kyle Shanahan rides the hot hand going forward here. That's his prerogative. That's what he wants to do. And so if Sam Darnold plays well, I don't see Kyle Shanahan pulling him. I don't see Kyle Shanahan going, well, it's Purdy's job, so we're just going to give it back to him, even though Sam looks tremendous in this offense. And you want to know why Kyle Shanahan rides the hot hand? Why he plays musical chairs with his quarterbacks and seemingly doesn't care? It's because he knows the truth. The 49ers' offensive success doesn't start with the quarterback. It starts with him, Shanahan, the play caller, the schemer. It starts with the offensive weapons around the quarterback, the tremendous offensive line, the elite run game, the, you know, Solid skill talent and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brendan Ayuk. You add all that up. The quarterback that's asked to do the least amount in the NFL plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Look, I'm a Brock Purdy fan. I'm a believer in Brock Purdy. But with that said, am I going to really sit here and tell you that he's this great quarterback? That a lot of his success and the 49ers success is because of him? I can't do that. That's foolish. A lot of Brock Purdy's success is because Kyle Shanahan is a, I was going to say evil, you know, evil genius, but it's not really evil. He's calling plays. He's a mad scientist when it comes to offensive game plans, offensive schemes, and play calling. He has the best running back 
in the NFL in Christian McCaffrey. He has arguably the best offensive line in the NFL protecting for him. He has tremendous weapons to throw the ball to in George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who both run and block really well, along with, you know, being threats in the passing game as well. You have so much to work with that it does not take a lot of talent for any quarterback, but especially Purdy, to run this offense at a high level. All he is doing is just running the offense the way he was built to be run. That's it. It's not rocket science. He's not Patrick Mahomes running out there, flying to his left, throwing across his body, making all these miracle plays. It's the offense. It's the system. So if the 49ers have built an offensive system that is almost foolproof, why should I sit here and believe that Sam Darnold can have the same success that Brock Purdy did? I think he absolutely can. Like, forget your preconceived notions with Sam Darnold. Forget about the Jets' tenure. Forget about the Panthers' tenure. Look at Sam Darnold and his success in San Francisco going forward here through the eyes of previous quarterbacks. Because it's impossible for Sam Darnold to fail right now in San Francisco. Look at every major quarterback that Shanahan has coached right now at the 49ers during his time. He has had, in no order, Nick Mullins, who was his first quarterback, started 16 games over two years for the 49ers. Nick Mullins, in NFL history, has the second most passing yards behind only Patrick Mahomes through a quarterback's first 16 games of his career. Those were under Kyle Shanahan. He made history with Nick Mullins, who was a career backup quarterback. He took Jimmy Garoppolo and got to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo along with two NFC title appearances in three years. And Jimmy Garoppolo, for his career, 95% of his starts right came in San Francisco, a few in in Vegas, and a few in New England. But 95% of his starts came as a 49er starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, for his career, has won 70% of his games. Do you know where that ranks in NFL history? Seventh! Seventh! Jimmy Garoppolo is the seventh most winning quarterback in NFL history with 95% of those starts coming under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So you look at Jimmy G, one of the winningest quarterbacks in NFL history under Kyle Shanahan. Nick Mullins, a career and journeyman backup in the NFL who threw his first 16 career games has the second most passing yards in NFL history. And Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, coming in right now through his career, through the first 14 starts, is 12-2 and and has thrown two touchdown passes in 10 of those 14 starts. Every single quarterback has come in unheralded. Unheralded. Excuse me, I can't say that word. Jeez, I don't know why I try to say it twice. You get my point there. They've come without a lot of fanfare, come in with not a lot of belief, and have flat-out produced. Have been high-level quarterbacks. So if Brock Purdy can't play on Sunday and Sam Darnold comes in, why should I think he won't have success as a 49er starting quarterback? I absolutely think he will. Because every quarterback under Kyle Shanahan has had high levels of success. Nick Mullins, Jimmy Garoppolo, now Brock Purdy. And what we've seen from Kyle Shanahan is that every quarterback has success, 
But he's also a guy that rides a hot hand. So if Sam Darnold comes in, lights up this Bengals defense, 275, 290, hell, 300 passing yards, three touchdowns, and gets this offense back on track after a two-game slump, there is no reason to believe that he's going to automatically go back to Brock Purdy. That's not who Kyle Shanahan is. He is a guy who rides uh, rides a hot hand, and until a quarterback fizzles out, we'll keep on believing in him. And that's why for me, if Sam Darnold plays well on Sunday, he's not giving up the job anytime soon. He can absolutely supplant Brock Purdy as he's starting quarterback of the 49ers moving forward here. This is a major opportunity for Sam Darnold and an opportunity I think he's going to cash in on. So I'm curious your thoughts here. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. Is Brock Purdy's job actually in trouble? Are you a believer at all in Sam Darnold coming on in and having success despite what we've seen in New York and despite what we've seen right now in Carolina? 855-212-4227. Also, I'm curious. You look at what the 49ers have built, right? They are, I think, QB proof. And again, going through some of the names here, that just highlights when Nick Mullins is lighting up defenses and Jimmy Garoppolo is taking you to a Super Bowl. And Brock Purdy can be the last pick in the draft, take you to an NFC title game midway through the year, and be your starter after only eight career starts in a Super Bowl or bust season. Should more teams be built like the 49ers? Should more teams, instead of focusing on the quarterback, focus on getting a better O-line, better run game, better wide receivers, and then worry about the quarterback last? 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. You can tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. All right, when we return here, I want to keep the quarterback conversation going. Deshaun Watson has been in the news for all the wrong reasons this week and in recent weeks because of right now the status of his right shoulder and the ambiguity of his status. He himself, right, a lot of people are slinging arrows at Deshaun Watson. I'll tell you why the Cleveland Browns deserve a lot of criticism when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. It is Ryan Hickey here with you on this Thursday evening. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you making us a part of it or part of your evening right here on CBS Sports Radio. So this week has been a weird one. This last month really has been a very weird one for Deshaun Watson. And now we are at the point where Deshaun Watson has been ruled out this week against the Seahawks already. And now questions are starting to come about his love of the game. If he truly is dedicated, if he wants to play football. And I hear those questions being asked from fans, from media members, and speculated. I don't blame Deshaun Watson for having those questions pop up. I blame the Browns. The Cleveland Browns are at a lot of fault here for having their quarterback being questioned about his love of the game and his want to play football. Because what the Browns have done is completely botched their handling of Watson's shoulder injury. To get you up to speed, here is what's happened over the last month. Deshaun Watson plays the best game of his career against the Titans. Takes a hit on his shoulder. Hurts it after week number three. All of a sudden, 
Practices, practices, practices the next week. No problem. Okay. The Friday before their game against the Ravens pops up on the injury report with a shoulder injury. Not a lot of details given, just shoulder injury. I think I believe at the time it was called a shoulder bruise. And now you look, he eventually, even though he was on the injury report, it was believed, and I believe even Watson himself said at the time, yeah, I'll be, I'll be fine for, for Sunday. I'll be, I'll be playing, no problem. Didn't play against the Ravens. Okay. Then it's the bye week. Okay, maybe you want to be extra cautious. Give him a little extra time. Bye week's here. He'll be back ready to go. Bye comes and goes. Doesn't play against the 49ers last week. Returns against the Colts this past weekend. Gets hurt in the first quarter. We thought left the game with a concussion because it looked like his head snapped back and hit the turf. Instead, we find out he cleared concussion protocol but he wasn't returning to the game because of the shoulder injury that caused him to miss the two prior games. And that there was nothing wrong with the shoulder. He didn't re-injure it. Kevin Stefanski just said he's being cautious. Didn't want to push it. And now, Deshaun Watson has been ruled out already for this upcoming week against the Seahawks. And so now you look at it, and it goes, well, we were told the shoulder injury is not a problem or not a big deal. He misses one game. Then has the bye, has extra time to rest, misses the 49ers game. Okay, that's weird. Comes back against the Colts, leaves after the first quarter, not because of a concussion, but because of a shoulder injury, and that he's actually not really hurt, but he just, you know, Stefanski's just being a little extra cautious here. And now he's already ruled out for week eight. The Browns deserve so much blame because they have botched this entire handling. It's not a shoulder bruise for Deshaun Watson. It is a rotator cuff strain. Now, there's a big difference in terms of the medical world. And now this timeline where all but, you know, he's he's missed all but one quarter since week number three makes sense from a doctor's perspective. When you use the phrase rotator cuff strain. But because the Browns, are keeping everything hush-hush, saying it's a shoulder bruise, not giving any sort of information, having Deshaun Watson appear to be okay, not have any actual injury diagnosed, not give any reason injury-wise why he's not playing. Their coyness brings questions about their star quarterbacks want to. Drive to play football. And that's a problem. And that's a problem when you have your quarterback today, earlier today, being asked by the media, basically, hey, do you still love football? And here's what Deshaun Watson had to say. Just worked my ass off for two years to get back to playing. So why wouldn't I want to play? This is what I've been doing since I was six years old. So why wouldn't I want to play? Like the Browns are absolutely to blame for these questions being lobbed at Watson. Because of how they've handled this, they've not been clear. They've not been transparent. They've not been helpful. And they have not put their quarterback in a position to where he can earn the benefit of the doubt. I get a lot of people are not Deshaun Watson fans for what he did off the field. That's totally understandable. But now, if you are the Browns, again, you have to do whatever you can to protect Watson going forward here. He's your guy. And you're basically leaving him out to dry over this injury. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But this is what the Browns have been. 
This is just another embarrassment in what has been a line of embarrassing moves for the Browns during their franchise history. This is the latest one. Anytime they take one step forward, it is two steps back. They can't get out of their own way. Again, even as something, uh, even with something as simple, I should say, as being honest with your quarterback's injury, you could have avoided a lot of headaches, a lot of questions, a lot of scrutiny, not just with you, but with your guy. And you've done nothing to help him out. This has gone so far with a five-year, $230 million contract that's fully guaranteed. This has gone as bad as you could have asked so far if you're the Browns. Like, this has been right the worst-case scenario. Obviously, we knew last year was a wash. And I think the Browns are lucky that Deshaun Watson wasn't suspended for the entire season and had the ability the last six games to knock some rust off. Now, he looked terrible. But at least for the first time in a year and a half, he was able to get back on the field and again in what was a lost season anyway, get some reps, shake off the rust, and at least try to get back to that elite form we saw in 2018, 2019, 2020. And then this year was supposed to be the year. Plays terrible on Monday Night Football against the Steelers. Literally gives that game away with his turnovers the same night that you lose Nick Chubb. You pay your quarterback all that money. He can't get you a win. You don't need one of the best running backs in the NFL to bail you out. You need your $230 million quarterback to bail you out in a game like that against your division rival on the road on Monday Night Football. And instead of just even doing the bare minimum of just not putting up points, Deshaun Watson did the worst thing you could do, turn the ball over deep at his own end, allow the Steelers to return it for a touchdown, and you lose that game. And now coming off what was easily the best game he had in a Browns uniform week three against the Titans... Hurts his shoulder. Now it feels like Baker Mayfield 2.0. That's another thing, too. That's frustrating. The Browns have already gone through this. right? Two years ago with Baker Mayfield. In 2021, Baker Mayfield suffered a shoulder injury early in the season. Baker wanted to play through it. Now, didn't play very well. But I think that shoulder injury had had a big reason as to why his play was so poor. But the Browns did Baker Mayfield no favors whatsoever kind of left him out to dry to the media, left him out dry to fans to criticize him, and he got raked over the coals and eventually kicked out of town because he tried to tough through at the time what was a left shoulder injury. But at least during that time, you had the ability to learn from your mistakes and realize, okay, going forward, if this happens again, how can we protect our player? How can we make sure at least there's no questions about his toughness or his want to and make sure everyone Fans, media, whoever knows, hey, this guy is dealing with something. He's playing through it. He's tough, but he's limited. And the Browns had that entire year as nothing better than just practice to learn how to handle PR better going forward. And now we are sitting here, different quarterback, different shoulder, same PR, same problems. And now their franchise quarterback, The guy they sold their soul to get is now being hung out to dry and is being questioned by media and fans if he actually wants to play football, if he actually cares, if he's a good teammate, in large part, not because Deshaun Watson doesn't care, but because the Browns have done a horrendous job at informing 
fans and the media what is going on, being clear and concise, and even just diagnosing the shoulder injury right from the jump. They're downplaying it from the beginning. It's part of the reason why we're sitting here five weeks later still questioning what is going on. If there was a clear timeline, a clear injury diagnosis given back in week four, none of these questions are popping up. None of these questions or concerns about Deshaun's love for the game are being asked. And Deshaun Watson is not basically defending himself in front of the media today to say that he actually does love football. The Browns deserve so much blame for how they've handled Deshaun Watson's shoulder injury, for their lack of transparency, and for their basically leaving them out to dry and their lack of um, details putting their quarterback in a bad position in front of fans and media. Again, one step forward to the Browns, two steps back. It's it's been the way it's been that way in Cleveland for a while, and it continues now to happen. All right, when we do return here on the show, let's go to some college football here. I want to ask you this question. It was a rough weekend last weekend for USC, Penn State, and Clemson. Three very good coaches, I would say, in Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, and Dabo Sweeney. All, especially in Dabo's case, right? He's already won two national titles, but Really, since 2020, feels like he's been stuck. Three good coaches. Who do you believe in the most from this point going forward to win a national title? Is it Riley? Is it Franklin? Or is it Dabo? I'll give you my answer when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. Here, though, with the latest CBS Sports Radio update, Rich Ackerman. Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. If you missed any of the show so far or... Maybe going to leave us soon, not, you know, can't hang out for the next three hours. I get it. Life happens. No problem. I got a solution for you. If you still want to keep up with the show, download the Hick at Night podcast, night spelled N-I-T-E. That is where every hour of this show is uploaded in podcast form, plus, plus some bonus material as well, including Hick's five-minute picks, my college football picks for each and every week, in five minutes, that's it. All the big games covered in five minutes or less because guess what? I know you're busy. You don't got 20 minutes to dedicate to listen to some weekend preview. I got you covered all under the Hick at Night Umbrella podcast, night spelled N-I-T-E. Check it out wherever you do get your pods. Let me ask you this question here because last weekend was a rough weekend for a lot of storied programs and a lot of storied coaches. Lincoln Riley and USC lose to Utah for the fourth time in a row. They are now officially eliminated with their second loss out of the college football playoff uh, contention. James Franklin and Penn State lose to Ohio State. Technically not done, but look, I mean, with how they played against Ohio State, they're not beating Michigan in a few weeks, even though they're coming to Happy Valley. They, they are all but done as well from the college football playoff, um, from college football playoff consideration this year. And Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, already two losses. They're already done, but just add more salt to the wound, losing to Miami on um, on Saturday night. Now they have three losses. Going forward, right? I know Dabo's got two, so we're not obviously talking about him. But going forward here, if I ask you this question, who do you have the most belief in to win a national title from this point forward? Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, Dabo Sweeney. What is your answer? 855-212-4227. 
855-212-4227. You can tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Between those three coaches, the coach I have the most faith in to win a national title first is Lincoln Riley. Here's why. Number one, he's always going to have a quarterback. He has fumbled the bag big time with Caleb Williams. Fumbled it. It's a joke. It's embarrassing. It's unacceptable that he had Caleb Williams for two and a half years between Oklahoma and USC and did not make one college football playoff appearance. Can't have that happen. But with that said, Lincoln Riley is an offensive guru who recruits the hell out of quarterbacks. He's always going to have a quarterback, an elite quarterback, playing under him. And as we know in football, if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. So that's reason number one why I would pick Lincoln Riley out of those out of those three coaches, Riley, Franklin, Dabo, as the one I have the most faith in to win a national championship first. And look, I'm not I'm not comparing Lincoln Riley to Kirby Smart. I am not doing that. But I want to point out a similarity, and that is this. If you go back to Kirby Smart before 2021, so before he won his first national title at Georgia. There were questions about Kirby Smart, his ability to have enough offense to win, his you know his ability to game manage in big games. Like you look at how he mismanaged Justin Fields when Justin Fields was on his roster, let him get out of town, and as we know, he went to Ohio State. He never was able to to get enough offense to consistently win. He made some questionable decisions in big time games. He lost to Bama in the national title game. He lost to them in the SEC title game. He's had some bad losses in some big moments. There were a lot of questions if Kirby could actually get over the hump, win the national title, right? win the big game. And as we know, he did it not once but twice, and now he's going for a three-peat. There are no more questions about Kirby Smart and his ability to win the big game, even though there were for a large stretch of his time at Georgia. So with Lincoln Riley... It's just different sides of the ball, but the same concerns, right? With Kirby Smart, it was, who's a defensive guy, can he have enough offense? Can he develop a quarterback to be good enough to win a national title? For Lincoln Riley, it's, can you have a defense good enough to compete, tough enough to win a national championship? Kirby was able to figure it out, and I believe, at least, again, you give Lincoln Riley enough cracks with one of, if not the best quarterback year in, year out in college football, I think he'll figure it out eventually as well. So between those three coaches, Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney, James Franklin, I have the most faith in terms of winning a national title in Lincoln Riley. Now, second on that list is James Franklin. Because similar to Riley, Franklin will have, with the way he recruits, he's going to have talent at Penn State. He is one of the best recruiters in college football, and he will have loaded rosters year in and year out. But the questions, right, and the doubts are, can you put it all together? And there are major concerns coming after or coming off of last Saturday's loss to Ohio State where a lot of the criticisms I, as a Penn State alum, have had of James Franklin, many neutral observers and or Penn State fans have had of James Franklin, is that he chokes in the big moment. And you watch Saturday's game against Ohio State, specifically from the offense, you had an offense that was not ready to play. They were timid. There was bad timing all around. 
bad play calls, never felt in rhythm, clunky, tentative, not aggressive, conservative. Like there, I could sit here and list off 10 more adjectives of how Penn State's offense looked in negative ways against the Buckeyes defense that was not as good as, or not ha- hasn't been as good, and I think was vulnerable this year. I know stats-wise they are at the top of a lot of categories. I thought this year Penn State was best equipped to take advantage of Ohio State's defense, and instead they embarrassed themselves. And that starts me right at the top of the head coach. He did not have them ready to play. But just like Lincoln Riley, James Franklin is going to have a lot of cracks. He's going to have a lot of bites at the apple. So I'm going to put him second on this list. I don't have a lot of confidence. I wish I could. Trust me. As a Penn State alum, I want nothing more than to make the college football playoff and win a national title. I have some serious doubts, though, of that happening. But the reason, the reason why Franklin's not third out of these three coaches, why he's second, is because the reason why, why you look at Dabo being third on my list, the game has passed him by. I think the game of college football has passed Dabo Sweeney by, and I don't think he's ever going to make Clemson, as long as he's there, an elite program again. Clemson fans, cover your ears. This comparison I'm going to make is not a good one. But I'm getting major Jimbo Fisher vibes right now from Dabo. Right? Jimbo won a national title at Florida State with Jameis Winston. Obviously, Dabo, to his credit, won two national titles, the last one coming in 2018. But if you look at Jimbo at Florida State, you climb the mountain, you win a national title with Jameis Winston, you go back to the college football playoff the next year. But really, ever since then, it was a slow decline. Or even that next year after Florida State won the national title, it was like a tightrope for them to even make the college football playoff. They got their doors blown off by Oregon, and no one was surprised. People were surprised they made the college football playoff in general because they looked terrible. They looked sloppy. Squeaked by a lot of games for most of that season. And you saw each year a little bit more of a dip and a little bit less talent and a little bit less offensive creativity, and a little less dominance. Year in and year out, it's all of a sudden, they go 7-6 and in Jimbo's final year at Florida State, and he jumps ship to go to Texas A&M. But there was a precipitous, or I should say maybe a, a more of a constant drop every year since Florida State won the national title in 2013 until, until Jimbo left. And now you're looking at Clemson, look at them since their national title back in 2018. Right, they make the, the college football playoff in 2020 national title. They get smoked by LSU. No one was beating LSU, or I guess 2019, I should say. It's a 2020 year, but you get my point. Uh, 2019 season, you get smoked by LSU. Fine, no, no harm in that. Right, LSU is one of the best teams we've ever seen in the last 30 years of college football. But then you sneak in and, you know, you get smoked by Ohio State in the college football playoff the next year. And then now we start to see you drop. DJU comes in, does not play very well. Oh, it's he's just not a good quarterback. Okay, let's bring in Cade Klubnick. All of a sudden, the offense is not looking that much better with Cade Klubnick, who is supposed to be the real deal. The offense gets stale. Dabo Swinney is not adjusted in terms of NIL and transfer portal. Now that's a lot of 
ways how rosters being replenished. Forget about built, replenished. You can use the transfer portal to replenish your roster, and Dabo has said, nah, I'm good, screw that. We don't need that. Failed to embrace NIL. And so the areas now where coaches are being able to lure more talent to their team and rebuild their teams faster than ever, Dabo is eschewing, and now all of a sudden you are seeing other programs rise while Clemson starts to fall. And now you look at the ACC, which is not very strong to begin with, right? The ACC is not the Pac-12 of this year. They're not the Big Ten. They're not the SEC. And I could sit here and confidently tell you, Clemson right now has fallen past and below Florida State. They're on the same level maybe as UNC. Maybe. But it's like they went from the kings of the ACC right now to a second, third team in, in what is, you know, the fourth best conference in major college football. This feels very Jimbo Fisher-esque. And the game to me is past Dabo Sweeney by, which is why I have more faith in Lincoln Riley and even more faith in James Franklin to win a national title than I do Dabo because I don't think Dabo's ever winning a national title again in Clemson. I don't think he's ever going to make that program elite again in large part because the game has passed him by. So in terms of these three coaches that, again, have, at least in the case of Lincoln Riley and James Franklin, knocked on the door but have not broken through, in the case of Dabo, broken through, climbed the mountain, not once but twice, but since that 2018 mountain climb the second time, has not looked elite really whatsoever for the most part. If I ask you going forward, who do you have the most faith in to win a national title? It's Lincoln Riley for me, one. Dabo Sweeney, two. Jeez, uh, I already screwed up my own list. I suck. Lincoln Riley, one. James Franklin, two. Dabo Sweeney, third. Carlos Ortiz, producing today. Doing a great job, might I add. Thanks. I'm curious your thoughts here. Who Out of these three coaches, right? Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, Dabo Sweeney. If you were to pick one, and you say, I'm going to put my money on them winning a national title at any point, who is it? This is one of the worst questions that you can ever ask me because Good. the choices, it's like, all right, do I want to get burned or do I want to drown to death? Like, neither, none of them are appealing. Fair. Out of the three... I'm going to say Davo, and here's why. Interesting. I don't care what Lincoln Riley has to say after getting you know beaten by Utah. He says, oh, I'm here for the long haul. I'm gonna, I, I signed up to do this thing. Lincoln Riley's already gone. He's going to the NFL. I don't see hmm. him sticking around at all. So I'm going to take him out of the equation for that reason. James Franklin, if it wasn't <laughs> this year... When was it going to be? I'm a big Katron Allen fan. I'm a big Nick Singleton fan. You know, you got a double-headed monster at running back. So I thought, all right, this is the Penn State team. They're finally going to get into the hump. They're finally going to introduce themselves as big boys in the college landscape. And and then they're going to lose to Michigan. And there goes the end of all Penn State. So James Franklin is two on my list because of that. Dabo inherently will just get number one because – why I agree with you wholeheartedly, he has not adapted to NIL. He looks completely complacent of losing at Clemson. He, he, he walked back some comments that he made last week about uh, maybe losing games is good for the team, good for the program because, uh, you know, they'll get re-motivated. I, I don't believe that. I believe Dabo is cooked as well. The other two guys are going to be out in one way or another. James Franklin, if he gets boosted from Penn State, and I'll ask you because you're a big Penn State guy. They're not firing him. 
But is he ever going to get over the hump? This was the I, year. I don't. Th- I agree. Was this year. was the year. I just don't know who you're hiring. Like that's like that's the problem. The Penn State is stuck. And honestly, these three coaches, these three programs, USC, Penn State, and Clemson, right now are stuck because you can you do better to get over the hump? Yes, but the like the answer is like who like there's like three guys you could hire, and they're all unhirable. Like you're not hiring Kirby Smart, you're not hiring Nick Saban. I don't know like where else you go. And so it's like you can like the odds of you hiring if you're USC someone or, or Penn State higher better than James Franklin averaging 10 wins a season is very low. Like the the room for you to get better is very small compared for the room for you to drop and win seven games and lose out on recruits. It's a crappy place to be. It stinks. And that's why it's so hard and that's why this question I'm glad it's tough for you because that's kind of the part part of the reason why I want to ask it. It's a a tough question because all three have their doubts for sure. When we come back, the NCAA owes everyone one thing when it comes to Michigan. I'll tell you what that is when we return. It's Ryan Hickey on CBS Sports Radio.